What is going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Boom Boom Performance Podcast. Today's guest is a new but very good friend, and I say that because uh, Jordan Duggar and I just recently met, but we hit it off and we had some bromance out over the last few weeks, uh, just texting back and forth, um, messaging on Instagram, and then obviously having a couple podcasts. I was recently on his podcast, which I will link in the show notes. It was a really, really good conversation um, centered around nutritional periodization, but just full of knowledge. Um, we've been getting a ton of good feedback and I've been getting tagged on Instagram quite a bit about that episode. So I'm going to link that in the show notes, but um, Jordan Duggar is a fellow coach. So this is just another guy in the industry who literally sees eye to eye with me on damn near everything. He's heavily into the physique space. He's a competitor himself um, and he completely transitioned out of his career to chase his passion, training and coaching individuals in the nutrition and training world. So um, really cool story, uh, very similar to mine, but he is a he's actually pretty fresh into this like he didn't it wasn't that long ago just a few years ago I want to say um obviously I'm recording this later on but as you'll hear in the episode he talks about leaving his job and and quitting everything and leaving everything behind just to do this full time and I know there's a lot of coaches a lot of trainers and a lot of aspiring trainers and coaches listening to this podcast so I made sure that he really harped on that and explained why he did that and talked about his story doing that because I know there's so many people that just need that motivation and need that understanding to really dive into this as a career. And the reality is, is if you are passionate about this, it is 100% possible. But what you're about to listen to is two coaches talking about a lot of different topics. So we cover training, we cover his story, we cover business, we cover our philosophies inside of what I call the art of coaching. So taking all the science, taking all the evidence, taking all the research and actually applying it inside of coaching because Research is one thing, but application is another thing. And the application of this science is where the art of coaching comes into play. And Jordan Duggar is very, very knowledgeable in that realm. And I really respect the way he does things in that realm as well. So we cover that quite a bit. We talked a lot about the nutritional hierarchy, the the muscle and strength pyramids made famous by Eric Helms. So kind of how we structure our diets for our clients, calories, macros, micros, meal timing, uh, supplements, so on and so forth, and kind of going down that line, but how we can actually alternate these and switch these around a little bit, depending on the client, depending on the goal, and depending on the situation. So I think you guys are going to take a lot out of this episode because it's really, really about coaching. It is taking the evidence, taking the science, taking the research, taking the most advanced topics, and dumbing it down and applying it in methods that are actually practical for lifestyle uh, and advanced clients. So you guys are going to get a ton of this episode. I'm really excited about this. Um, before we get into it, a couple quick announcements, guys. First and foremost, do me a favor. Head over to iTunes. Leave us a five-star rating and review. We truly, truly appreciate those things. The second one, if you enjoy this podcast, if you love Jordan, if you love me, if you are getting better results because of what you hear on this show and you would love to share it with people so they can get better results too, I would greatly appreciate it because it is the number one way for us to grow this podcast over time. So what you can do for me. Take a screenshot of the show right now. Head over to Instagram, post it on your story, and tag myself at Cody.BoomBoom and tag Jordan at Doug Aesthetics. I'm going to link both of our Instagrams in the description below as well as my podcast over on his. Last but not least, guys, if you like coaching, you like content, you like programming, you like a lot of the things that we are talking about this in this podcast and you want more of this kind of stuff, more education, more content, more smart training programs and a better way to get results and your answers, uh, the answers to your questions. Head over to boomboomperformance.com slash elite or 
check out the description the link in the description this is the place where i put the most exclusive content this is where i put so much of my work so many of my training programs and i really 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 want you to go check it out so head over to boomboomperformance.com/elite now without any further ado let's get on to this amazing episode with my good friend jordan duggar all right jordan man i'm pumped to have you here especially because we have so many mutual friends um, the more i start digging into your content the more i see the people that you're um, affiliated with or networking with or connected to. I'm like, damn, I know that person. I know that person. I'm friends with that person. So it's, it's really good to finally meet you, man. And I'm excited to have you on the podcast. And before we kind of dive into what we're going to be talking about today, which is going to primarily be kind of around how to be evidence-based, but actually be applicable and practical as a coach and help people. Um, let's dive into your story, man. Like for those who don't know you, who is Jordan? And uh, how did you get into doing this in the first place? Yeah, no, I really appreciate you having me. I've been a fan of your show for a long time now. And it is surprising that we haven't bumped shoulders, you know, up to this point. Um, we've probably crossed paths more times than one, once. But, uh, yeah, I'm really appreciative of you having me. So what I do currently, and then I'll kind of backtrack, and I'll keep this in a very abridged version. But um, I'm a coach. You know, that's what my passion is. I love, I love physique science. I love nutrition. I've been a nerd around this space my entire life, basically. Um, so currently I have a couple different coaching businesses, um, a few different coaches that work between Aaron and myself, Aaron Diamond, my girlfriend, and also business partner. Uh, and then I have my own personal coaching business as well, um, Doug Aesthetics. So I focus mostly on kind of higher, uh, more advanced lifestyle athletes, as well as a few prep athletes. Um, and then also we have a, a mentorship business. So we coach, you know, other coaches and more so, you know, Aaron handles within that, that model. She handles a lot of the marketing and sort of business and tactical aspects where I come in and I teach nutrition, nutrition, training, programming, you know, how to, how to develop your fundamentals as a coach. So Kind of a quick background story on me. Um, grew up in the gym, man. My dad was a, was a coach and a bodybuilder. Um, kind of grew up in that environment growing up. Uh, started eating chicken and rice when I was probably four years old. You know, one of those kind of things. Um, hung around, you know, those grungy old bodybuilders uh, from a young age. And I just always had those aspirations. It was always like really, really interesting to me. So um, fast forward, my dad got rid of the gym when I was about 13. Um, family, you know, broke apart. A bunch of, uh, you know, rough issues as a child. And that kind of caused a lot of... Uh, kind of disgruntled nature towards the fitness industry for me. There was like a bad relationship with my dad around some, some of that period. So I decided I wanted to do nothing with fitness for a period of time. Um, took a different direction in college, was studying uh, finance for a period of time and then economics, and then found my way back into nutrition in college. Uh, you know, it just kept pulling at me, kept pulling at me. Um, then I changed directions again. And I was like, nah, I don't want to do this. Uh, there's no money in it was kind of my initial intention after college. Uh, and you can probably relate, you know, Cody, that when we when I graduated, which was 2011, you know, you could personal train, you could do certain things, but my, my views were not beyond the horizon. I didn't think in terms of like bigger picture and it was before social media and all these other opportunities. I just didn't see any real opportunity in it. So went into the corporate world for a, a period of time, still doing some personal training on the side. And then I started to realize like my passion is just there. It continued to pull at me. I continued to find myself, you know, working as a personal trainer on the side, like spending every ounce and every minute that I could looking at nutrition data and studying things, listening and absorbing content. And finally, I was like, man, I just can't resist this. I've got to get back into this. So that was about two years ago that I decided, you know, screw it. I was uh, actually, I was actually running a business at the time where I was doing business to business consulting and was doing great um, in, term, in terms of income. Now, passion wise, and it wasn't something that I was interested in by any means, um, was doing great. And I just decided, screw it, dropped it, just pulled the bottom out of it, um, went from making, you know, a really good monthly income down to basically nothing. And was like, I'm just starting ground zero. Um, started picking up clients and uh, yeah, I guess things just kind of picked up from there. And then and now, now here I am. Dude, I love it. That's actually a pretty similar story to me as far as just like constantly feeling like, 
everybody telling you you can't make it or, or have a successful career in that and then it keeps pulling you back and, and people would I remember people being like what do you do for fun and I'm like read examine.com and PubMed and shit because <laughs> I'm just yeah. a nerd about that stuff um, man before we actually dive into what we're going to talk about today now I'm curious because I didn't realize that that was kind of how you got into it and it's actually still pretty fresh as far as you like really jumping in and, and I guess like saying peace to everything else you were doing. And, and that's a big risk, man. And I know there's a lot of trainers and coaches listening to this and there's a lot that send me emails or messages and ask that questions. Like, what can I do to just go all in on what I, what I love and go all in on this physique stuff and, and really just chase my passion and say goodbye to the nine to five that I have right now. Do you have any advice for the people listening as far as like what you went through and how you were able to do that successfully? Yeah, I think one of the most important things there is to align yourself with the right people, you know, surround yourself with individuals who are also like minded in terms of uh, they are following a, a position or a path that they're passionate about. And ideally, it would be within the same space. You know, I was able to uh, position myself alongside not only Aaron, who was, you know, doing this full time and crushing it for, for a long period, but also other friends in this space that I aligned myself with. And I just started hanging around them trying to find ways to offer value. And I was uh I was pretty, I had a high acumen when it came to just nutrition and, and training and things like that. So they wanted to hang out with me for that reason, right? Because I knew my shit. So I would say to kind of wrap that up, do that, learn as much as you can, like literally spend every waking hour learning, absorbing content from reliable information, which we're going to talk about today, and become a sponge. And then that way, when you're in these conversations, you can kind of hold your own and you can kind of have some credibility that in that case, doors are going to start opening, right? You're going to start to develop a reputation, maybe even before you go full-time in that space. But I think a lot of people think that I either need to make the decision to go full-time right now before they even start building the foundation, right? Building the relationships, taking on a few clients. You know, around that time that I went, I went full in, I also had a client, and here's another point that, was, uh, that did really well. She, I actually have big plans for her still this year. I think she's got a good chance to pro card and figure this year. Um, she finished, you know, really well last year in Miami's um, at nationals. And this was a girl that I took on when she was just like skin and bones, uh, probably four years ago. And I just started experimenting with her, you know, placing some certain variables in place. And when I started to see her really transform and get rapid results, that's when my comp that's when my confidence started to compound. Like, okay, all these things that I've read and absorbed might actually work in terms of application. So I think that's two part, you know, surrounding yourself with with the right people, but also get your feet wet, you know, start making sure that what you're learning can be applicable to actual humans. And then that's going to start to build up that confidence that when the time does come to maybe, you know, burn that bridge, it's going to be an easy decision because you know, you can do it. I love it, dude. I think the biggest thing is just education. Like you've said it over and over and over again, actually spending time and being okay and embracing the process of just learning and slowly gaining knowledge is so underestimated and it can be so fun. Like I actually, I, I told my fiance the other day, I was like, I really just wish I had more time to just sit around for hours and read blogs and shit because I miss that, man. I just love doing that. And I still prioritize that in my schedule every morning. I wake up early to be able to read research or research reviews, so on and so forth. Um, and I think that's really important because a lot of people rely strictly on social media for education, which is fine. There's some great accounts to follow, but it's just not the same, which is actually what I wanted to ask you next. Like going into evidence versus kind of like anecdote or experience, what have you found the most helpful over the time um, that trainers can kind of gravitate towards for learning and further educating yourself, like what resources and how do you distinguish like, okay, this evidence, this research, this literature is actually applicable or this is just hogwash. Like I'm not going to actually be able to use this on a general population lifestyle or even a competitive client. 
Yeah, no, I love that question a lot. I mean, I'm the same way. So Aaron always makes fun of me because, you know, and when the evenings roll around, most people are turning Netflix on or, you know, on their phone. And I'm like, you know, face deep in mass or, you know, Alan Aragon review. And I'm just like reading. So she's like, how do you even read that when you're so tired and like burnout? I'm like, it's stim- it's like really stimulating to me. You know, it's like watching a an action show at some point. I'm like, oh my God, like, babe, look at this. She's like, I don't give a shit. <laughs> you know? Um, so no, and, and I think that's great, man. And, and the thing to ask yourself too, is do you have that, that true raw passion for this stuff? Cause I think that's also going to allow you to understand, is this truly the, the direction that you want to, you want to take, or are you maybe only enticed by it via the, the glamor aspects? Right. Um, and that's something to truly like ask yourself and be, you know, be honest with yourself. So, you know, I, I, I want to start to answer this question with a quote that I love, or not even a quote, but a principle that a Carl Sagan wrote and, you know, Carl Sagan, the like one of the godfathers in terms of uh, modern day scientific principles, scientific method and how to be objective and look at information and discern good from bad information. And he said this in uh, The Demon Haunted World. It's a book that he wrote. And basically the most, the most profound thing you can do as a science, you know, science-based uh, uh, individual is developing a keen bullshit detector, right? Understanding when and how to discern bullshit from, from credible information. And there are a few subtle cues that you can always watch for in that regard not even talking about, you know, study methods or, you know, where research was funded by and some of these other more, more applicable things, but developing critical thinking skills, not just taking things for face value. You know, when you're told a certain outcome for whatever the case, whatever the subject is, looking at that outcome and thinking, hmm, that's interesting. Um, well, first of all, whoever is, is presenting that outcome, how are they presenting it? Are they presenting it in, you know, complete certainty and, and using like fear-based tactics to, you know, communicate their point? Are they saying, you know, you must do X or else you're going to see Y? Those are things that should start sending off red flags. And I think at that point, it, it takes practice, it takes reps to take an interpretation of something and then to go actually research it on your own. Would you agree? 100% agree. Absolutely agree. When you start diving into this stuff, how much do you, um, like, I guess, take research and, like, literally just duplicate into a client or you kind of use your intuition and tweak things and change things and use it in a more practical sense. Um, if that is even more practical, I'm just curious of how you like the application process works. Cause I think a lot of coaches get almost overwhelmed and they're like, I don't know how to like relay this message of scientific principles to an average person who doesn't give a shit about the yeah. science. Right. But they need this in order to change their body. Totally. Totally. I think that there's a mix, right? There's a, almost like a, uh, like an X, Y axis that you have to find almost like an intersection point to where, you know, personal experience and things that you've seen across, you know, your own individual client and anecdotal type evidence versus what the best current scientific evidence is. Right. And then also the individual needs of that person that you're wanting to apply these things on. So it's almost like a, like a three-way cross that you have to find, right? Like which part of that paradigm do you want to focus on? Um, and I, and I do think that that's a challenge, but it becomes very, very easy when you truly get to know your client. And I think the thing to really take into consideration, I'll give you an example. Um, so, you know, there was research that came out not too long ago in regards to uh, 70, 72 hour refeeds, uh, you know, as a way to mitigate uh, metabolic adaptation and, um, and, and the, you know, the principles there like upregulation and, and leptin and, you know, increases in NEAT. And there were all these like pretty cool, you know, fa- findings and they showed, you know, a really clear uh, uh, acute upregulation of metabolism um, via 72 hour refeeds. That's where the research was conducted. So if we look at that as coaches and we say, okay, 72-hour refeeds, do X and Y, okay, interesting. Like, and, and I think this was on a very frequent uh, period. If I remember the, the research, right, it was like every seven, I think it was every seven days. Now, if you have a client, let's just call her Brenda, 
who, you know, she's going through a diet phase. You have her, she's tracking her macros. She's got things locked down. And you're wanting to do this almost as like a preventative maintenance type situation to be able, be able to allow Brenda to diet longer. You know, you got to ask yourself, do, do three-day refeeds every 10 days? Is that, is that applicable here for her, right? Um, I'm trying to get her to a goal maybe. Maybe you have a set deadline that she wants to fit into a bikini. So then you can say, okay, um, they're able to take X results from 72-hour refeeds. Maybe we can get most of those results from just doing two-day refeeds. And a lot of that evidence is out there as well, right? Like, so maybe you can make an adjustment based on what the evidence you find that becomes more applicable to the client's situation. Or maybe even, you know, single day refeeds, because we're not even talking about the psychological benefit there of having a day where you have increased feeding windows. Like, so, so taking the evidence and then almost like molding it to what actually is going to work for that client, I think is what differentiates a great coach from somebody who just kind of spits plans out. And they say, well, I get that you're telling me that you, you, you don't want to do this, but suck it up. You know, this is what's right. Um, if that makes any sense. Yeah, 100%. And I'm, I mean, I'm familiar with all of that. And I think you commented on one of my posts recently talking about one of those methods. Um, and I think one of the things to be noted too is like, for some people, they almost need that. I don't want to say instant gratification, but if you're like, okay, we're going to implement these refeeds so we can go slower, that immediately demotivates them because they're not seeing any scale progress. So sometimes we have to go, okay, it's a, we're going to push them a little bit harder for three, four weeks, and then maybe we'll give them a longer one. So this is where we can actually extend that three days, you know what I mean? And give them more of a maintenance. Um, I guess one of my questions for you too, is, is just that, like how comfortable do you think coaches should be putting people into a deficit and letting them ride it out and letting them be challenged and letting them be hungry and do cardio? Because I kind of go through this battle with coaches that I mentor um, and people that comment on my stuff on Instagram or whatever it may be, because I come from the physique space uh, originally, like bodybuilding is what got me in love with all this. And there's something to say about the grind, man. That's just part of what you, like you get hungry dieting, but now with all this reverse dieting talk, and yes, there are people with hormonal issues that we have to be careful with, but it's not everybody. So I just want to get your opinion, really. Like, I mean, where do you stand with that? How do you feel about that whole situation that's going on right now? That's an interesting subject, man. We do live in like this, we're in like the era of metabolic damage. You know, it's <laughs> like, it's like, no, 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 don't diet. It's, it's bad for you. Um, just, and it's like all this kind of like fear mongering that's going around. And there is a balance there. Like, of course, people can experience metabolic adaptation. That's clear. But it's also like looking, we're looking at these things in a vacuum at a lot of, you know, a lot of cases or extreme situations, right? Um, at the end of the day, most people who are having trouble with plateaus, very, very few is it a true metabolic adaptation issue. Usually it's just their deficits wrong or they're not adhering or, you know, a number of other cases. So I think that that is, that is tough as a coach because you're getting clients that are and look at the end of the day, it's really, it's a really cool landscape that we're in right now too, because the client's more educated than ever. Um, but there is of course a lot of mis, mis, misinformation going around. So I think that that's where your ability to really communicate and show, show your ability to coach that client, right? That, that client is coming to you because they want to be coached. They want to look to you for guidance. You almost have to establish that right off the bat. So for me, you know, I'm going to tell the client, you're going to be hungry, you know, and, and I think what's important to communicating that is like learning how to say it. Um, for example, like, look, those times when you're feeling hungry, I want you to instead, instead of saying, man, I'm so hungry, this is hard, like reframe that statement and say something along the lines to yourself, such as, okay, I'm feeling hunger signals, that must mean that my body is oxidizing body fat. Now, maybe that's not exactly what's going on during that period. But it's at least a way to reframe the sentence to yourself that allows you to know that you're doing something right. Because, you know, coming from the physique space, like, you're going to be hungry during a deficit. That's the whole point. Um, and, and also making sure that that client understands and is able to separate. This is kind of going on another tangent. But 
is, is able to separate, you know, emotional hunger that they're used to being able to give into at any point in any given time, right? They have a craving or they have like some sort of a, some sort of like maybe a mental trigger that they usually rely on food for, or are we actually physically hungry, right? Have we gone four or five hours without eating? We actually need nutrients. We actually need, you know, food. And I think that that's where really communicating to your clients, these principles can really separate you and also separate the chances of your client getting results or not. Because sometimes they might look at this, look at your plan and say, well, um, I get that you told me one thing, but I heard, you know, we'll just say Jordan over on his Instagram say another thing. I'm probably going to, you know, do what's over here because that sounds more sexy. Like they have to really trust you and you have to be confident in what you're putting in as far as application. So huge. And I think the biggest key of all that is just communication, right? Like if you're a coach and you're not communicating, like what's the point? Um, I mean, not what's the point, but like your client is going to be having subpar uh, results because they just, they don't get as much education out of the process period. And they don't have that support. Um, how big is mindset in, in what you do as a coach and what you give your clients? Um, Cause I feel like sometimes it could be so simple. Like some of the conversations I have with clients are so quick and so simple. And it's just such an easy task to just say, Hey, like, this is how I would think about it. This is what I go through. This is my experience with it. And it changes everything inside of a coaching relationship. Yet there's so many coaches out there that don't even stop to think about that. It's just adjust your macros, do this. Don't worry about this. Um, so I'm just curious on, on how you go about that and how important that is for you personally and with your clients. You know, it's easy to do Cody. I mean, we as coaches, we, and, and especially as like, practitioners of this kind of lifestyle we've been in this for so long that you forget what it felt like those initial stages where you're like frustrated and you're like you know we're, we're just so used to it so it's easy to get away from those almost those mental connections to those certain frustrations right and we've forgotten like there's so many things that we've forgotten like little tips and and mind mindset hacks that we literally have just let go to the wayside because we don't need to use them ourselves because it's so habitual um so i think it is important to kind of stay in the depths and stay in the trenches with your client really feel their pain so that it brings you back to that spot. And you can say, oh, okay, I remember when I was there. Here's how I overcame that. Um, and for me personally, uh, with my coaching business, with Doug Aesthetics, I don't deal with it a whole lot, if I'm being completely honest, because you know a lot of the clients I get in, they've been doing this for a long time. They're kind of looking to take that next step. But I was exposed to it like heavily, almost like you open up a, a freaking you know water trough and I was just dumped on the head of beginners because Aaron and I created a program that's a 12-week program um, called Transform Together. And we brought in a lot of clients who were uh, female beginners. And that's typically Aaron's demographic. So I came over to kind of support the business function and the programming. And we have four coaches underneath us who are working in that program. But what Aaron and I do is we come on and we teach. Uh, we do two, long, two hour long calls every single week that's focused specifically on mindset. So it's kind of like an open office hour call. So we would have clients come in and just share with us, you know, updates on their week. What are you struggling with? And man, that just put me right back in it. It made me realize, oh, there's a lot more to this than just X's and O's. Like, we, we sometimes it's easy to get away from that. So it, to answer your question, I've pulled back into the mindset areas a lot more lately and thinking about reframing statements, um, emotional versus for emotional hunger versus physical hunger. That's a huge thing. And a huge thing that I've gotten away from and almost like forgotten about, but it's a huge issue with a lot of normal people really understanding and really understanding like what those differences are. Um, so I know that question answered was kind of all over the place, but recently I'm a lot back into it than I, than I normally was. Um, but I'm curious on your take there. Like how much do you use those kind of things? Yeah, dude, I think uh, I could hundred percent agree. I think number one, 
having your own goals, being in it yourself, thinking about those things personally, even just for me, just journaling and meditating, like I, it forces myself to ask my own questions um, and examine things, right? And then I have my own coaches. So I talk to them about the issues and the struggles I'm going through. And that helps me kind of stay in that. Um, and then also just having conversations, like purposely asking the questions, even if I see your update form and you tell me where your weight's at, where your macros are at, your biofeedback, all that good stuff. Just me saying, hey, like, but for real, how are you doing? Like, how is your mindset? How is everything going? Like, just purposely asking those questions and just kind of opening Pandora's box more often for your clients. To me, I think that's the best way because if you don't ask that simple question, and I think a good coach does just that, you know what I mean? Like, a good coach just asks great questions a lot. (laughs) Yes, to add to that too that I know that you would agree with is um, a client typically, or not just a client, but individuals' bodies tend to follow, I know this is kind of meta, but their, their bodies tend to follow where their minds are at, you know? And I think there are so many little subtle cues that come into there um, and connections that can be, can be logically explained. But for example, like if I have a client who's going from a hard cut into a reverse dining phase, and if they're extremely just like negative and daunting around the whole idea, they refuse to listen to any of the positive outcomes of what a reverse diet can do. They're just like, no, I don't want to do this. And they're kind of dragging their feet and clawing going into it. And even if they are adherent, their bodies don't respond as well to the individuals who are really open-minded and they're listening and they're kind of absorbing your feedback and and trusting in you. And they go into it like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to focus on getting strong here. I'm going to get in here and I'm, I'm ready to feel good. I'm ready to have more energy. And I'm excited about this phase. What I find is those people maintain really great body composition. They maintain, they maintain a lot of their leanness. And uh, as compared to the other side, you know, they, they tend to respond poorer. I don't know if that's a, um, I have a few things to say about that. It, it, like, so yesterday I had, uh, it's not aired yet, but um, Eric Trexler on the podcast, we were doing an interview and we talked about this very thing. And he was talking about like making an adjustment for somebody. And if they're just so worried about every little detail or if training is perfect, or if this adjustment was enough, or they're, they're worried about the scale, not moving fast enough, their cortisol is higher, their stress is higher. And he's like, those people never make progress. And the people who are just chill and they just, go with the flow, always make great progress. He actually used uh, Jeff Alberts as a great example, which is a great example because that guy is just super calm, <laughs> but he's, yeah. he's a monster. He's been a legend in this space. So um, 100% agree with you, man. Yeah, there, I'm, you know, I didn't even consider like the nervous system aspect to that, you know, with um, constantly allowing yourself to get in that fight or flight mode every time your coach makes an adjustment and then freaking out and then carrying it over into the night. And uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that can affect so many different magnitudes of, of physiology and how your body responds. But, you know, also like constantly stressing over those kind of things, you know, it's going to raise the propensity to want to like, ah, throw something in your mouth and then maybe kind of forget about it, you know, or you're out to dinner with some friends, like, you know what, I'm going to eat this meal, like kind of loosely track it, but I'm going to tell my coach that it was on point because I don't want to do this right now. He's making me do this. Um, and I think the biggest thing to understand from a client perspective is like, we're doing this to get you to your long-term vision. And from an individual or uh, from a coaching perspective, it's really, like you said, man, it's really communicating these, these bigger picture fundamentals. Yeah, I think it's just that perspective, like you mentioned, man, like I get to do this instead of I have to do this. Um, I know for me, like with meditation and stuff like that, like when I had my first, we were talking about before we started, uh, my experience with like Wake Up Warrior and the coaching aspect uh, on the mental side of things. I looked at it like homework, like all these like practices I had to journal about and meditation. And I, because of it, I didn't get anything out of it. Cause I was like, I got to do this today. Like coaches make me meditate. Once I bought into it and I realized like what the power was, then all of a sudden it started really benefiting me. And then he stopped asking me to do it because I wanted to do it. And I do think that's a big piece of it. 
Um, swinging around this and kind of applying it to you personally, you're somebody who is in the gym constantly. You completely shifted your career to do this full time because it's your passion. You're obviously in the trenches of studying everything, man. I really respect that about you. Um, and you stay aesthetically lean and pretty jacked year round, it seems like, um, constantly pretty in well shape. I'm curious of what keeps you so motivated. I'm a big believer in actually like loving the grind. And I don't mean grind like you have to be grinding all the time or pushing yourself, but just like like people are like, how do you always like eat those foods? And like, you always want to prep or make your own home food instead of grabbing some meat. I'm like, cause I enjoy it. Like I actually love this shit. And I think that's what's the key to consistency. But I'm just curious of if you agree with that and then what keeps you so consistent? Because I think people need to understand those traits so they can apply it themselves. For sure, I love this conversation. I love the direction that, that all this is going, you know, almost from like more of a, more of like a, a meta type aspect as compared to just simple X's and O's that sometimes get overlooked. Um, that's such a great question. So my perspective on that is essentially the brain operates on feedback, on feedback from, you know, your, your dopamine system to serotonin to all these different neuro, these uh, neurological processes that want to continuously give you reward based on input, right? So I, in my opinion, you know, if we sent little, we set little like mental cues, things that we're going to try to adhere to during the day. Um, maybe that is hitting your meals that you've planned for, getting that workout in that you've designated. And I think over time, the more times that we hit those cues, and at first it's going to be forcing ourselves to, it's not going to be fun. It's not going to like be as satiating to eat our pre-planned meals and things that we're tracking as compared to like just going to Wendy's. Like these things aren't as fun initially, they're hard. But the more times that you continuously push past that, that little mental barrier, you develop these new neuro connections, I feel like, and you develop these little cues that do turn into habits, right? You do create these habits that everybody always talks about and you start to get reward. The more reward you get, the more uh, feedback and the more you kind of chase that reward. Just like with anything in life, right? We're always chasing that sort of like reward factor within our brain and within our, uh, our um, uh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Like our catecholamine system or our uh, neurotransmitter system, right? Like we're constantly looking for that reward. And I think that if you continuously just just do that, you know, and it's not going to, it's not going to be fast. Like I, I, I don't, I might ask you this question, but I've been doing this since I was like maybe 14 or 15, you know, in terms of like being intentional. And I remember at first, like, and of course there's been periods of my life too, where I've fallen off. I had a bad injury at one point, completely gave this up. And you've got to like rebuild those mental calluses, those mental calluses where you just force through it. You do it because you, you do it because you told yourself you were going to. And I, I tell clients this all the time. Eventually, it gets to where you rely on it, where literally if you don't do it and if you don't adhere to some of these things that you say you're going to, the pain is not worth the immediate gratification and your brain learns that. You don't even have to tell yourself that anymore. It's like, okay, I'm gonna get up and do this because I don't wanna risk it, if that makes any sense. 100%, dude, I, I love that. And I think it's just kind of pushing through resistance. And I even like that you mentioned like since you were 14 because I think now we see so much on social media and people are like, I want to look like this person or do like this, or I want to get this result. And it's like, go behind the scenes on social media and ask that person how long they've been training. Like I had a, a really big life. Like, so I didn't even start training until I was 18. Um, and I was training for like maybe a year and a half at this point when I was interning with this guy. Um, he was just a monster, just super strong, super jacked. And I was like, man, I'm in here every day with you. And I'm not as lean as you, like I'm, I'm pushing weights, I'm eating better than you, like what's going on? And he was like, how long have you been training? I'm like, two years. He's like, I've been training for 14. I was like, fuck. And he was like, just calm down, <laughs> dude. like you'll get there. Um, and now I'm, you know, nine years into training and I'm like, okay, like now 
I'm really starting to see like really good progress and everything like that. And it doesn't mean like people, it's going to take nine years to get jacked. But the point is, is like, just commit, man. Like, I think that's the biggest thing. Yeah, here's a point to that too, Cody. Um, and you're in a position right now where you're going through an in, you're going through an injury and a recovery period, right? And you're you're seeing atrophy, you're seeing like lost gains, and all those things can be pretty psychologically uh, daunting. I went through a period of that myself, right? Uh, three foot surgeries in a year and a half, lost like 50 pounds of muscle, and man, so I feel you the the phase that you're going through right now. But the thing is, like those deposits that you've made over the years, right? That all that effort and all that time that you put in. Some people will think, oh, that was all wasted. That's so far from the truth. Your body is going to respond and bounce back. This is actually true from an actual uh, DNA level. They've actually done research recently. Have you heard this new research on uh, mice? And they did like the trained mice versus untrained. And they're looking at basically muscle memory. Have you seen any of this recently? Yep. Yep. Yeah, so just for your audience, what they did was uh, they actually used testosterone injections and um, training within mice. So basically, they had two groups of mice. Uh, one group of mice, they, they gave like really small amounts of testosterone to and also put them on a training regimen. So this doesn't necessarily, we'll see how much this applies. But basically the training regimen, they're like, right, how do you make a, mite, a mouse work out? They just put them on like little resistance machines and had them run up like little, little uh, uh, elevated platforms basically. And then they had the other group of mice where they were untrained. So just normal, your everyday mice. Then they let this group of trained mice uh, become untrained. Just like the situation that a lot of people go through where maybe they have six months where they don't do anything or they have an injury or maybe they get sick. Um, so essentially they brought it to where these two mice were, were back to ground level, right? And then they put them on a training regimen that were, that were exactly equated, same diet, same nutrition, same training. The group that had actually had stimulus applied before, they had like 49% greater hypertrophy gains and muscle gains at a way faster rate than this untrained group. So think of it in terms of like putting deposits in, deposits that are going to show return for your, for your entire life. It's not like we, we can't look at this lifestyle as a vacuum. No, you got to look at it as like almost you're compiling deposits over the long term. Hey guys, I want to take a brief moment to remind you about the Boom Boom Elite, our membership site. This is literally the perfect place for you. The reason I know this is because you're listening to this podcast and anybody who listens to this podcast is a go-getter and an action taker. You are a person who is seeking information and education to better your body, better your performance, and finally transform your physique. I know this because people listening to this podcast really just seek results. And the one way to get better results is better training programs, but not only intelligently designed programs that actually build in progressions and avoid injuries along the way, but a place that's actually going to teach you how those programs are built. See, a lot of coaches and clients alike have insecurities about what they're putting on the piece of paper. Whether you're programming for yourself or you're programming for your clients, you probably have an insecurity or a lack of confidence in the programs you are creating. You probably question yourself. Are these programs actually going to work? Am I going to get injured along the way? When a plateau happens because it's bound to happen, what do I do? How do I adjust? How do I move through this plateau and finally start seeing results again? See, the Boom Boom Elite is not only a place to give you the programs that avoid these things and actually give you results, have built-in progressions, and make sure that you're not getting injured along the way, but it's a place that's going to educate you on how those things are actually built into the programs. So now you have longevity in your results. You can actually adhere to them because you know what the hell is going on behind the scenes. And you can start creating your own programs that actually work and you have the confidence to know that they will work. So next time you put whatever you put on the piece of paper, you and your clients are confident and feel comfortable and actually believe in the system. 
not to mention they're actually going to get results, which is the reason why we do this in the first place. So because you're listening to this podcast and because I know you're perfect for this, I wanted to take a second to just remind you about the membership site because this is the place that I spend every single day communicating with the environment, communicating with the community about training, about nutrition, about supplementation, about all the things that go into side of coaching. So if you want access to the Boom Boom Elite, click the link in the description below or go to boomboomperformance.com slash elite and sign up today. And without any further ado, let's get back onto this podcast. Yeah, dude, I, I actually looked into some of that, um, some research, research similar to that before this happened. And that's actually something that helped ease my mind. Um, I think yeah. I saw you post a picture after uh, like a throwback about your injury too. And I just took, um, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Chris Bearcat. I've known him for a really long time and he's actually... Yeah. Okay, so he's helping me with just like getting back into it and my training and everything like that. And I took my like before pictures and my one leg is just like shriveled and it was depressing. But I remember reading a bunch of that research and and that's what muscle memory is, right? Like you can, it's there. It's just kind of like you didn't lose your mojo completely. You just haven't used it in a while, right? Like you just got to get back into it. Yeah, man, you'll bounce back so quick. I remember, man, going through that period, I was was a wreck, like... (laughs) I would, I would refuse to like even go on social media. I wouldn't look in the mirror. Probably not the, the most healthy uh, mind state that I was in around that time. But yeah, man, it, it'll bounce back so quick. And Chris is, uh, shout out to Chris, man. You couldn't be in better hands. He's a, he's a great dude. Knows yeah. his stuff. Super smart. And I think like that's good for you though, man, because it just, us going through these things. And I remember being overweight and then doing a show prep and then gaining a ton of weight afterwards. Like those experiences sucked and they really messed with me mentally. But that's what allows me to empathize with clients. And I think coaches need to go through the trenches, need to go through these things, just kind of like what we were just talking about, like you staying motivated and you doing these things constantly. I think that's so important for coaches because it keeps you on the same level in a sense, Uh, maybe not education wise, which is obviously the point of being a coach. You should probably be more educated, but um, mentally you're kind of in that same boat too. And I think that's really important. Um, Before we keep diving into this, I want to circle back before I forget, because you were mentioning um, like a client specifically that was going through a reverse diet and blah, blah, blah. Like I want to circle back to that because I I find nutritional periodization very, very interesting. And I see, I get so many questions regarding reverse diets and how long should I diet for and what's okay. And I just want to kind of get your, your methods and your theories and like your principles or hierarchy of how you go about looking at a client, how long they should actually diet for Um, after they do a reverse, can they jump back into a a diet or do they have to maintain for a while? And like just your philosophies on this entire principle. Yeah. um, That's a complex one to answer, of course, as, as you know, like in a, in a certain vacuum because there are just so many different directions and like ifs and, you know, well, if one client does this or if one client wants that, I guess to try to answer it in, in a brief fashion, um, the first step is simply having that conversation with the client. Okay. Like really getting clear on what their goals and expected outcomes are and making sure that their goals are, are within reason, right? Like sometimes you have a client that comes and says like, I want to be jack shredded and tan in eight weeks. Like, okay, like this is going to take a lot longer than that. Let's, let's lay out the, the roadmap. And so that they understand what they're on board for, right? Don't ever promise. Um, so then let's just take like, say a female, because obviously females are a little bit more finicky and we have to pay a little bit more attention to in a, in a general sense in terms of like um, periodization uh, in, in some ways, especially in regards to like reverse dieting, you have to be a little bit more cautious. Um, so we'll just take a female, like, let's say that she's going into a diet phase. And the number one thing that's going to depend is like, how much fat does that person have to lose? What I found, you know, like similar to like the Matador study, if I have a client who has a lot of weight to lose, and I don't work with a lot of extremely overweight people, but I have, then I'm going to try to set that 
periodization up or that kind of macro cycle up for long term with regular diet breaks, you know, really utilizing the opportunity to um, use like a, a cyclical approach to be able to diet for a long time. Because especially somebody like that, it's going to be hard to tell them, well, let's diet hard for eight weeks, then reverse diet for eight weeks. Like, let's, let's figure out a way to like create a balance here that we can, you know, push hard for three or four, go into a diet break, push hard for three or four, or whatever your kind of periodization is. Um, but if we have somebody who maybe has, you know, like your general female, maybe she's 145, 150 pounds, she wants to lose 10 pounds to get into that wedding dress or it's bikini season. What I'm going to say is this, I'm going to say like, um, in terms of duration, you know, let's go slow. Let's try to plan this. If you think you need 15 weeks to get to this conditioning, let's plan for 20. You know, give me a few weeks to kind of really learn your, your metabolism more than anything else. Um, and let's apply like a pretty, not, not too aggressive, but a pretty reasonable stimulus up front. And let's see how you respond to. Uh, once you kind of have that data point and, and you understand where they're at up front, then let's set it up in a way that we know that we're going we're gonna to get to our end goal. And maybe that does include diet breaks. Maybe it's more of like, you know, a refeed schedule. I think all those things are so important. And the evidence in the anecdotal and in the literature is clear that, that that's a great approach to take. So you're just going to continuously like run them through that mesocycle. But um, what I usually tell them is like, look, there's a reason that, that bodybuilding coaches will typically reverse diet nowadays, a client into a show, you know, because you, you typically look better if you're able to get lean and then jump into that reverse diet phase and reverse for say five, six weeks up to that point that maybe you have a vacation or maybe you have like, maybe it's a show, maybe it's a prep client. That should be your goal is to reverse diet into that, right? Because you kind of like, and that also gives them more context because then they're on board for that reverse diet phase. Rather than saying, hey, let's just run hard for 20 weeks. Then we'll talk about the reverse diet when we get there. I really try to make them understand like, hey, look, you're going to look awesome after this six weeks of reverse dieting. Now we're going to need to reverse and obviously be in a maintenance phase for longer than just six weeks. My general rule of thumb there is typically as long as we diet for, I want to see at least that, that long at maintenance or whatever your new TDE is, right? Um, but I try to make sure I hone into their minds. It's like, look, you're going to look amazing after this diet, but you're going to look even better if we, if we nail this reverse diet, which is true. You're going to have fuller muscle bellies. You're going to feel, you're going to be training harder. We might get a slight, you know, hypertrophic response within that short period of time. You're going to just look better and you're going to look fuller and you're probably going to look leaner if you are really hitting your numbers. So um, that's typically how I approach that. I kind of set that standard up front by telling them that we're not just looking at 15 weeks of dieting or 20 weeks of dieting. We're looking at 26, whatever that period is of that initial. Um, for me, it's like four to six weeks that I think are most important, you know, getting them to that TDE, getting them to that new assumed maintenance uh, for a female. With guys, I'm usually just like, you know, stop being a bitch. Let's just push your food up. If, if you want to grow, like, yeah. like, why are you worried about, you know, putting on a little body fat? Like, are your, are your goals to grow? Then let's do that. Let's push food up. But as a female, I understand it's a lot different. Um, so th that's kind of how I approach that. <laughs> I love it, dude. Do you, uh, the big thing I, I want people to hear again is that you're, you mentioned taking just as long as it took diet to maintain um, can you dive into why and, and what that looks like for most people? And I know it's individual, like maybe somebody can get away with a little bit less maintenance or some people have to do a little bit more, but just because I think that's where a lot of people fall off. Like, I feel like, and I get it. Like you go through a diet, you're finally lean and we're like, okay, now you got to maintain. So you're probably going to put on a few pounds and then we want you to sit there for an extended period of time. But I feel like a lot of people jump into maintenance for a few weeks, maybe a month. And they're like, okay, time to diet again. And it's just, and then all of a sudden the deficit's not working and they're confused. So I just like, the more we can hammer that home, I think the better for education purposes. Yeah, I agree. This is something we talk about 
so much, uh, especially with our, our, our current clients and our group program. We have a lot of people going into reverse dieting phases, so this is good. Um, you know, the bottom line, I usually tell people this, you know, they've, they've actually found cases where individuals who have, um, well, let me just back up even one more step. You know, as females, especially, we're in, this, we're in this age where a lot of girls have been in a deficit for like a big part of their lives. Um, you know, from the first time that they're, they're exposed to body image issues, whether it's through like, you know, magazines or social media or whatever the case is. And a lot of times what happens is those, those particular females will stop eating as much. They might cut out entire food groups, whether it be carbohydrates. Um, so like they're going, like a lot of girls have gone through a big period of their lives dieting, even if it's inadvertently, not intentionally, or just under eating in general. And they're metabolically adapted. And so we've got to identify that up front too and say, look, like what's your long-term history, right? Like talk to me about that. And then that's going to also give more context as to like how safe we need to be. Safe we need to be in terms of how long should we be at maintenance after an initial diet phase to get you back to a healthy position to be able to go into another fat loss phase. Um, so the, I'm going to answer this again, though, in two parts. Like psychologically, you know, you're going to start to experience burnout. Once body fat levels start to get low, once leptin is decreased, you know, hunger signaling is going through the roof, um, your brain's going to start playing tricks on you. And a lot of people don't prepare for that. You know, they go through these diets and you've got a little devil on your shoulder that's basically saying like, no, like you can have that little bit of extra food and you're in a vulnerable position metabolically that if you don't, if you don't do this strategically, you can put yourself in a position where not to go on that tangent, but to like literally change your body fat set point to where like you're now naturally a heavier individual. We've, we've seen it happen. Um, so like the safest way to mitigate this, like dieting can be dangerous if you don't do it right. So the safest way to mitigate that is to go through the diet phase and get out. Once you start either seeing your body start to plateau to where, or psychologically, you just feel yourself like being pulled in these directions. You're feeling burnout. It's affecting your life. You know, especially if you're not going for like a prep or something, like let's be realistic here. Um, let's not let it affect social and relationships uh, or social situations or like your work. And like we can live to push another day. Um, so the most important reason though, that you want to make sure that you're, you're out of that initial deficit for a period of time that's gonna be conducive for your, in, in simple terms, your metabolism to upregulate and to raise those downregulated processes is so you can simply diet again because right that's your goal right like you want to you want to pull off more body fat down the road we can't do that unless we do this we we simply cannot and then you know sometimes i'll scare my clients i'll say look if we don't do this you're going to risk putting yourself in a position of like your eyebrows falling out you know you're going to start gaining weight on super low calories to where like you have no other choice you're going to start to um have you know you can help amenorrhea you might have issues trying to reproduce like there are so many risk factors that um, people I think need to be extremely educated about. And I think the more educated they are as to like why that period is so important, the more likely they are to adhere. I'm probably a little bit more blunt than a lot of coaches. Like, look, here's what's going to, here, here's what's at risk. So it's your choice right now. If they choose not to do it, I'm still going to make them anyways, but um, at least making the client feel like they have some control. Yeah. I think that's, what's good about also um, having platforms like this or Instagram and stuff, because you and I both are pretty real inside of our content. And I think that's important. So when clients come to us, they kind of already know, like we don't have to be overly blunt or upfront because they're like, okay, I get it. Um, during this whole process of maintenance and, and cutting phases and let's say even gaining phase and stuff, how important is it to, I just had this conversation with a female client and it was hard to get across to her. How important is it to, for male and female clients to spend time actually gaining muscle? And I say this because they will go through a fat loss phase 
um, I had a client and they sent me like previous photos and they, and then we went through this conversation of like, okay, you want to go into another deficit, but last time you went through a deficit and you went through a, a fat loss phase, you weren't happy with the end result because you didn't look lean as you thought you were, even though you lost weight. And I was like, we probably need to build muscle because when you get lean and you have muscle, it's a completely different look. Um, and I want to get your t take on this because you are in even more of the physique space. How important is that for both men and women? Man, that's such a great point. And it's so overlooked. You know, girls will say, well, I want to look like so-and-so. And they have to understand that that person doesn't look like that by dieting. That person looks like that because they spent a long period of time in a caloric surplus pushing heavy weight and being very intentional with their training programming and their, their food and their nutrition programming for a long period of time. They had periods of time in their lives where they were uncomfortable. They didn't love like the feeling, but they, but they got comfortable in that uncomfortable environment. And like anytime a client, you know, I'll be upfront with clients a lot of times too, if they come to me, and they want to cut where they're, you know, 120 pounds, I guess weight is a lot of times irrelevant, but they're extremely small with little muscle mass. And I'm like, look, we can cut, but I want you to be very clear on what the outcome is going to look like. You're going to look kind of like, you know, like Shelby Starn says, like a melted candle, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're going to, you're going to look like you have no body fat, but you're not going to have muscle density. You're not going to have any any cuts, any lines, anything that you see some of these other girls that you want to look like, um, you're not going to look like that. Okay. And, and I think that's the biggest misconception. You had mentioned this earlier when we were chatting that people look at Instagram and some of these in phases, not ever seeing the process it took to get there. Like you cannot have that dream physique without being comfortable in an uncomfortable phase. And for women, unfortunately, it takes a long time. Men were a little bit more blessed with the opportunity to gain muscle at a little bit of a quicker rate. Uh, you know, genetically dependent, of course, but for females, like, you can't expect to put on 10 pounds of lean body tissue, you know, in, in, in a three month reverse, it just doesn't work that way. Like, you've got to give your body enough time to grow muscle. And for a female, like if they, t if they come to me, and they say, Hey, I want to completely transform my body, let's say it's a competitor. Um, especially I work with figure girls, mostly, um, I'm like, Okay, it's gonna take a year. They're like, What do you mean? Like, a year? I'm like, at least. <laughs> and it's like, that's a year of pushing. Now there might be periods within that year, where, you know, many cuts might come into, into position where, you know, they're getting a little bit too fluffy. We want to kind of regain insulin sensitivity and put ourselves in a better position to then start growing again. But yeah, you simply can't have that, that really dream physique that everybody's going for now. Um, you know, good delts, like big glutes, you can't have all that without, now some people are genetic freaks, of course, and just more favorable, but without simply taking that time, eating a lot of food, being intentional and training hard. I love that, dude. It's so, so, so important. Um, it's funny. I actually, so one of our coaches, Caroline, is going through a gaining phase, and I keep, like, telling her, like, hey, just be patient. Just trust me. Just trust me. She just sent in her measurements today, actually, and she added, like, just over an inch on her glutes, and she's like, okay, I get it now, and it's, like, been just over 12 weeks, and I'm like, it takes time. Like, I know you're, like, fluffy, quote-unquote, but even that for her is lean. So I'm like, just, just be patient. And it's so key, man. Um, as we, as we're talking about all these different principles and, and just methods and just what we do as coaches, um, I kind of want to get your take on, uh, how you, I guess, prioritize these principles. I'm a big fan of Eric Helms, muscle and strength pyramids. I'm sure you are too. You put it in your slides. Um, and I think most coaches should probably have read both of those. If they haven't go read those ASAP because they're so informative. Um, but I also love like RPs, uh, pyramid and how they kind of categorize things and I love uh like kind of tweaking it to my own and I think depending on the client some of those kind of models and places in the pyramid kind of shift places and I'm just curious of like how closely you follow that system and then also like what tweaks you make or how you prioritize the order of importance to 
get a client super lean or build muscle? Yeah, man, I basically adhere to it like it's gospel. I mean, you know, now the only difference would be is if we have like obviously a prep client, um, whereas adherence might not be on that order of importance triangle because you better be fucking adherent or we shouldn't be doing a prep, right? Like in that aspect, there's a little bit less leniency. Um, but, and, and I love, yeah, like I said, Eric Helms, I mean, if you guys haven't read the muscle and strength pyramids, like that is the foundation for modern day application. You know, it's, it, it is, it is, and, and it should definitely be read and, and kept on your desk as a new coach at all times. But, um, looking at that order of importance pyramid, you know, having adherence underneath, uh, energy balance, I think is super important for, for general clients because, you know, it's one thing to look at what's extremely optimal and what is going to get results on paper, right? As, but if you compare that to like, what's the client actually going to be able to stick to, you got to take precedence for what the client can actually adhere to. It just, it just makes too much logical sense. And you can try all day with clients to say, no, no, no. I like, they keep messing up on a certain aspect and uh, they just keep, they keep dropping the ball, but you're like, no, you just got to do this. And like, I can't, like, you've got to meet the client where they're at. You know, are we talking maybe like a 1% difference at the end of the day? Um, that, that 1% difference is going to weigh out or way underway the fact that they can stick to a certain strategy. Okay. So like, for example, maybe, maybe a client has muscle gaining goals, right? Like uh, body composition goals. They want to add tissue. They want to get leaner. They also have a really busy schedule. They work, you know, 10 hours a day and they're only able to eat three times a day. And maybe they have to train in the morning. So it's, it's more, it's easier for them to get in and train fasted. You know, as a coach, you might say, well, it's more optimal to have five bouts of protein throughout the day, right? We're going to have more bouts of protein stimulus. Um, maybe like a slight degree. I don't even know if I agree with that necessarily, but, and it's also maybe not as optimal to train without having, you know, circulating amino acids and carbohydrates in the morning. I'd rather you train after a couple of meals and then you tell them to do that, but they're just not able to do it. Maybe they'll do it a couple days a week and then it's, they're going to fall off. And then they're going to feel as if they have to throw the baby out with the bathwater because they mess up on one important variable then they're thinking, well, I might as well not do anything else. So that's where it's very dangerous to only apply what is, what is optimal versus looking at what can a client to adhere to. Um, but otherwise, I look at that pyramid as the way that things should be followed, right? Like energy balance takes precedence overall. Um, now, you know, with that said, there are other factors to consider, like in terms of like macronutrient profile and breakdown. I think that is in micronutrients. That's a, that's a very important key that I think I've shifted gears along my coaching career, right? Like there was a time when I was so IIFYM, I'm like, you know, just, just hit your macros. Like that's fine. And I still, obviously, logically speaking, that's still the case. But when we're, when we're thinking, you actually were talking about this recently, Cody, I think it was on Lacey's podcast. When we're only looking at that, we're leaving ourselves a lot more opportunity and margin for error because we're eating out more. We're eating more packaged foods. We're eating more things that can have significant caloric variants, you know, in our diet as compared to like sticking to a little bit more structured whole foods that can make a big difference. You know, I, I've had a couple of clients recently who were just plateauing and weird things happen and I'll have them send me their food logs. And I'm like, Oh, okay. You're eating like a three-year-old that, that explains it. Like, yeah, you're hitting your numbers, but like your all your fat is coming from string cheese. <laughs> you know, It's like, come on. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I kind of go back and forth. Um, just like you said, and I always have throughout my coaching career, cause I have, I've had clients who are hitting their macros to a T, but because it's more packaged or eating out, I don't know if hitting to a T is actually hitting to a T, um, because who knows, or, um, maybe their digestion and their gut and their insulin sensitivity and their, uh, P ratio and the way their body absorbs nutrients and all these different things. Maybe that's not optimal because they're eating 
like a three-year-old, right? And it's just, you need more micronutrients to make your body feel better and function better. And then you're going to use those macros a little bit better. Um, and I've also bounced around on meal timing. Um, for a while, I was like, eat one meal, two meals. I don't give a shit. It doesn't matter, obviously. It's science. And the more I got into coaching, and I'd love to hear your take on this, I realized that, you know, meal timing is actually extremely important because adherence is at the bottom, but meal timing can dictate your adherence. So if we set up a meal timing that's optimal for you to get all your food in or for you to make sure you're not going over too many calories or you're well-planned and well-thought-out, that can change your adherence. And if you're adherent to your calories, we're seeing success. So I kind of dance around, and I don't know if you've ever thought about that too, but the more clients I work with, the more I kind of have used meal timing as a better tool. That's a great point. You're right. Um, and if you don't, sometimes if you don't give a client uh, guidelines around meal timing, like you said, that can greatly impact adherence. That's an excellent point. Um, because a lot of times maybe they are only able to eat three meals a day and maybe they have a high caloric load to adhere to. And it can be hard to figure out like, how should I break that up? That's optimal. You know, obviously you don't want them um, putting like all of their protein towards the end of the day or, you know, or whatever the case is. Um, that, that's, a, that's an interesting point. And I, I agree with you for sure. And also I do, I do place a lot more importance around peri-workout uh, than, I, than I used to. You know, I, and I used to be just kind of like, hey, just make sure you get your meals in. I really don't give a crap. But I do think that there is like an underestimated value around pre-workout nutrition from a lot of different angles. Um, not only just how you feel, but how your body is actually able to perform, right? Like how are we able to actually get a training stimulus and make that period of time that we're in the gym most optimal to get that training stimulus, to get our bodies, bodies to respond to the stimulus we want to apply to it. You know, if we're going in the gym, having not eaten for five hours, having no circulating amino acids, having no, you know, being a little bit glycogen depleted um, or being dehydrated, you know, if we throw that in there too, then that's going to make a massive impact on everything we're doing. So yeah, I think that's a, a debatable point for sure. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with both of those. Um, I started playing with meal timing more, um, and I want people to understand that I'm not just looking at it from like muscle protein. Since I'm actually like asking the client, like, hey, what do you prefer? Let's work with that and let's adjust this. Um, and I agree with the Perry workout. I think once I tried, uh, this is a long time ago, Shelby Starnes did a prep for me and he got me into intra uh, workout stuff, kind of like the mountain dog protocol. Um, and then once I like, I removed it for a while. And then once I came back to it, I came back to it because I tried like a really high frequency program and it allowed me to recover so much better that I was like, okay, there's some merit to this. And, it, and it's unfortunate, like there's very little research so people and, and gurus try to like kind of throw it out, out the door. But I think the reality is, is it just takes, number one, it takes a long time for a study to actually get published. And number two, how many bodybuilders will let you completely change everything they're doing for a study? Like I won't. No doubt. <laughs> yeah, no, no, absolutely. I, I think that intra-workout nutrition, yeah, especially like an, a good intra-workout um, carbohydrate drink with, you know, having some, some ability in amino acids available, sodium. Um, maybe even putting your creatine in that so that the nutrients being shuttled are going to give you more availability to creatine, having more ATP, you know, the ability to recycle ATP. Um, I, I think that all those things can work in unison and that there is a difference there. But like we keep talking about, you know, if you're doing that and you're worried about your intra-workout carbohydrate drink, but you're not, you don't know what your energy balance should be, then that's, that's the biggest problem, right? Like, <clears throat> Yeah, dude, I'm so glad you actually finished on that because I would have just grazed right by that. But I think um, it's important, especially with podcasts like this, where you and I both love the science and we both love talking about the nitty gritty. We always have to come back and be like, but don't forget, like this shit still yeah. matters. And if you're ignoring that, um, dude, I want to kind of get into these like rapid fire questions that I have for you. These are more like personality style questions. So um, you can like the first thing that comes to your mind, you can give some explanation if you want, um, 
or you can just crank them out. Uh, the first one is, is, and we'll do this for you personally and for your clients for this one, your favorite training split. Favorite training split is definitely uh, push-pull legs. So would you go push-pull legs rest, push-pull legs, or push-pull legs, push-pull legs, then rest? No, I'll go push-pull legs rest, push-pull legs. Um, or sometimes I'll just do a push-pull legs, and I'll have push, push A, push B, um, pull A, pull B, and I'll go like three on, usually like three on, one off, two on, one off. Um, personally for myself, that's, that's how I like to train the best. Um, and then I'll prioritize whatever – whatever body part I'm trying to bring up, let's just say it's delts, you know, I'll hit delts sometimes three times a week with little volume within that push pull leg split where I'll have like a delt movement, maybe on, maybe on every single day, you know, just add more frequency for more total volume. Yeah. Yeah. But, but that's my favorite way to train me. I feel like that's how I recover the best. Um, and if I have a client who's similar to me in terms of like training age and stuff, I'll usually have them on a push pull leg split, you know? Yeah. I love that. I, I, I actually used, so like, that's a great example of how I think frequency is actually supposed to be used. Somebody asked this at the seminar um, that we just did this weekend. And I said, frequency is a tool to optimize your volume and intensity. That's all it is, right? So you looked at it there. You're like, I need more volume on my delts. Let me use frequency as a tool to get bigger delts. Yeah, because a lot of times delts are saved for the end of your training session, you know, like, and I also want to work my chest. I also want to build my chest right now. So I don't want to like start my my chest day or my push day with, with delts necessarily, because then you're kind of picking and choosing where you can focus intensity at. So if instead, if I just like add, you know, one set to every single day, so you're getting like six sets of delts throughout the week, you can, you can, yeah, like you said, you can put the free or the, uh, the volume there. It's so key. And as an advanced lifter, I think like people need to listen to what you're saying because um, one set, it's hard to get like a massive pump. And a lot of people chase that massive pump. So like one set, what the fuck's that going to do? But if you do six sets in one day, you're going to smash yourself like after a full day already. Um, so I think that's huge, man. And, and I'm curious, I'm, this funny uh, rapid fire personality questions go longer than expected. <laughs> um, I should have expected that. Uh, you said that you're trying to bring up some body parts. Are you in a surplus right now? Are you looking to gain? I'm actually in a prep, man. I'm, uh, I'm dieting right now. So oh. I am... I'm, I'm, I'm currently 13 weeks out from, uh, I'm doing junior Nats in June and then I'm uh, eight weeks out from a regional show. Awesome. Hell yeah, dude. Um, the reason I was asking you is because I was going to ask you, um, and I guess we can go in both ways of this, um, optimal gaining rate for like an intermediate versus an advanced. And then also for fat loss as well. Cause I think, um, especially with natural lifters, people, it's hard for them to understand like, Hey, we don't, we're not trying to gain six pounds a month all the time and just blowed up. So I, I just want to get your take on that. Yeah. So we're, and we're talking intermediate to advanced. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Intermediate to advanced, you know, novice, like we'll, we'll just touch on novice real quick. Like it's anybody's guess. Like I've brought on some guys who, you know, are completely new to training and they put on, you know, 20 pounds of like pretty quality tissue in a year, that beginner gain, that new stimulus. And, and, you know, a lot of times novice to intermediates, look at that. I'm sorry, uh, intermediates to advanced, look at that. And they're like, why can't I do that? Like, it's like you already probably did at some point, you know, um, but for intermediates to advance, you know, if I look at it in like a year, if you're able to put on a solid, you know, six pounds, five pounds of tissue, you had a great year, a great bulking year, a great growing year. Um, and if you look at that in terms of mine, it'd be a half pound of actual tissue a month, maybe less. Um, normally it might be less. Uh, anything aside from that is usually going to be body fat. Now, sometimes body fat is necessary. You know, it's going to be kind of like it's, it's a necessary evil. Um, but yeah, I think that rate of gain point is so important because people sometimes just chase simple numbers on a scale and it's so irrelevant at times. You know, if you look at like what, a, 
Um, somebody gave a, a good example recently, like what a pound of steak looks like. You know, if you show somebody that and you're like, imagine putting on five to six of these in a year, like you'd be pretty happy, right? You're like, oh yeah, I guess so. Like, all right, let's just make that the goal. Um, but honestly, like your more average person, it might only be, hell, I'll give an example for me. I've been training now for 14 years. And this, this past year was my most intentional growth phase probably in my life because it's like the last year I want to really compete. And I was like, man, I nailed everything pretty much. Now I of course had some nights where I went out and had some drinks and went on a couple of vacations, you know, that you'll have, but I was very intentional. I period up, periodized everything, you know, my training was locked in. Um, and I put on, I think I put on about six to seven pounds of stage weight and I was pumped for that. I've been training yeah. 14 years. So that's the dude, that's really good. And I love the steak analogy because it's so true. And it's, it's almost, when you put it in those terms, it's almost like unreal to think about like, yeah, you really got to think about that. And now you're going to, the cool thing about it too, is like, you did that for a full year and now you're going to kind of see it come to fruition because when you get on stage, that's when it really shows the impact. Yeah. It's a long process, man. And like you, like we said earlier in the, in the podcast, if you don't learn to just love the lifestyle and love the process, man, the results are going to be super disappointing. hundred <laughs> yeah, percent. Dude, I love it. Okay. Let's get back to these personality questions. Um, the second one is uh, favorite artist to listen to when training. Favorite artist to listen to while training. I admittedly am not a big music person. Um, I used to be. Sometimes I listen to podcasts while I train, which is really weird, I know. But um, lately it's been Tech Nine, though. If I had to pick somebody who kind of gets me a little bit, gets the juices flowing, probably Tech Nine. Maybe uh, I like some old school hip hop like KRS One. I know I'm not answering it in one answer, but I'm not a big music person, man. So I'm probably not going to give a good answer there. I love it. And actually, you know, it's funny is I thought I was the only one. I listen to podcasts all the time while I train. <laughs> so, I get it, dude. Um, that yeah. might answer this next question too. Favorite way to study, read or listen? Listen. Um, it it kind of goes back and forth, honestly, Cody. Like there will be times when I like, it, it goes back and forth. There will be times when I like to read and, and then times when I like to listen. I don't know if I like one, or I don't know if I prefer one or the other, to be honest. Uh, but it probably, if I had to choose one, it'd be listen because I can listen so much more than I can read. <laughs> Yeah. What is your favorite meal? Clean meal. Favorite clean meal. Without a doubt, it's going to be four ounce steak, usually just a flank. Uh, then it's going to be um, four ounces of shrimp. Um, we're like balling over here on a, on a bulk. And then it's going to be, uh, and then it's going to be just white rice. And if I'm, if I'm growing, there's going to be a pop tart on that. And then a good bolus of, uh, of greens. Love it, dude. What's your favorite cheat meal? Favorite cheat meal is definitely going to be sushi, man. I love sushi. So oh, yeah. yeah, sushi and probably yo following. Yep. Oh, dude, I'm writing the same book. Um, speaking of books, what's your favorite book? Now we'll start with training, then we'll go nutrition, and then we'll go anything else. So you get three. Okay, cool, cool. Um, training. Uh, man, I, I hate to be redundant, but you know, muscle and strength pyramids, um, especially when that new volume came out, I was like a kid in a candy store. Like you just can't beat the way that they break things down in such logical ways and um, simplify things. Uh, other than that, you know, there's another book that I will, I will throw into this and it's called the body fat solution by Tom Maturo. Mm. Um, have you read that? Yeah. Excellent book. Excellent book. It's one that people had recommended to me. I didn't read it until recently. Excellent book, um, in terms of mindset around what we do. Um, so those would be two I'd throw out there. Um, otherwise principles by Ray Dalio is a book that I think as business owners or people who are interested in, and looking at life from a data perspective in terms of like using feedback and adjusting your inputs based on feedback, looking at things really logical and having core principles between business and life, man, that book is like, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. One of my favorites. What is a uh, mentor in your life right now or previously? Just like the first person that comes to mind, like the biggest mentor in your life. 
biggest mentor I would probably throw out there currently would have to be my man, Mike Zeller, um, who is my current, you know, current business mentor. And he's just opened up a lot of doors for me from a, from a belief aspect and believing that I can, and, and, and kind of calling me out too, that my goals were not set high enough. And I think that's a profound instance when somebody challenges you that way. And he was the first person to ever do that for me. I, I honestly think that's one of the biggest things that I took away from um, like my first like big financial investment into a mentor was realizing that I was just setting everything in my life the standard wise, like just setting everything too small. Yep. I think yep. that's huge. That's dude. Powerful. What is, uh, so this is, this is a two part question. I'm actually, this is gonna be funny. One person to lift with, if you could choose anybody in dead or alive who has ever been in the industry or anything, or they don't even have to be in the industry, I guess, who would you lift with? You had one hour training session with them. Man, that's a really tough one. Um, man, it'd probably be Ronnie Coleman, just because I probably wouldn't lift much. I would just kind of <laughs> just observe, like, just the freak show. Like, I would love to see him squat 800 pounds in front of me and just, just get to witness that, you know, at, the, uh, at his gym in Texas. I'm kind of blanking at what that gym's called. Um, Metroflex? You know, the gym that they yeah, Metroflex. Like, if, if I could go back there, you know, in the mid-90s or early 90s when they used to train down there and, and train with him one time, that would be pretty cool. Yeah. Um, all right. So last one, you're on a plane and you're flying to Japan. You got like 13 hours ahead of you. What's and you have? It's just a two row seat. You got one person sitting next to you dead or alive. Can't be friends or family who's sitting next to you. Probably Jordan Peterson. Um, I, I would like to pick that guy's brain for an extended period of time. He'd probably hate me by the end of the flight, but that, that'd be my go-to. There. I think that guy would be, I mean, it's just opening a can of worms. I mean, definitely an interesting conversation. Yeah. Dude, love it, man. Thank you so much for coming on the show, man. We got into a lot of good topics. We'll probably have to have you back on and dial in specific topics that we could just pick apart and go into because I think I could talk to you for days about training and nutrition. We see eye to eye with so many different things. Um, I think even just from a philosophy standpoint, I really respect what you do. I respect who you are and I just appreciate the way you go about things, man. I don't think there's enough people who just have a realistic approach, like an organic approach to what we do for people. And I really commend you for doing that. Um, and before I do let you go, please drop everything you have, whether it's website, Instagram, podcast, all that stuff, so people can go ahead and follow you. Yeah, man. No, I can't tell you how much I appreciate this, Cody. I've actually followed your work for a long time. Um, it's a true honor to be on here. I've listened to your podcast for a while, man. And I've always appreciated your approach. And I, I just want to you know, show you a lot of gratitude as well for everything you do in this space, um, the approach that you take, and also just the, the, how, how intentional you are with the way you communicate these things. A lot of people can understand complex situations in science, but they don't really care enough about maybe it's the industry or they don't have the ability to really communicate it in a way that is digestible. And, and you're one of the best at that, man. And you all, you have been for a long time. So really appreciate you in a lot of ways. I'm looking forward to tomorrow too. So we'll, we'll get to continue this tomorrow. Um, so in terms of uh, channels where you guys can find me at um, Instagram, so that's at Doug Aesthetics. So it's D-U-G-G and then just the word aesthetics. Uh, we have a podcast as well. So that's called Flow State of Mind. And you can find the Instagram. It's just Flow State of Mind Podcast. And aside from that, um, I'm on YouTube, just under Jordan Duggar. YouTube's pretty weak. I'm on there maybe like once every couple of months. Uh, and those are kind of my primary channels. But uh, if you guys ever need to reach out, DM me on Instagram. That's usually where I'm able to best respond. And I really appreciate you guys taking the time to listen uh, to some of these rants and, and diatribes. Yeah.